G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 23 Preview Edition, the final home and away round. Everything up for grabs, spots at the top of the ladder, spots at the bottom of the eight, uh, spots in the middle of it. Uh, bottom of the ladder sorted out, we have an official wooden spooner that will be North Melbourne, but... Uh, Everything in a state of flux, including, of course, uh, just where and when the finals will be played. What a uh, difficult year this has been. But we've got through it and we have actually ended up having 198 scheduled home and away games. So a bit of a logistical feat pulled off again by the AFL. Credit to them. This podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. We'll have the odds on all nine games we will preview shortly. But uh, first, let me say a very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going in lockdown six, Finey? Yeah, a bit of lockdown fatigue, like I think most Melbournians are suffering. But of course... The situation in New South Wales is pretty dire and we've got plenty of fans up there and there's Queensland still battling. So as long as everybody follows the rules, we're a chance to see the light at the end of the tunnel, not being a train coming towards us. It's, you know, we, we cover a team sport on foot, footyology, but it takes a team effort. Weakest link will knock us back into lockdown. So that's disappointing. But on a footy... on as you mentioned, on the footy front, that's a pretty good effort by the AFL to have, well, we're assuming the last round goes ahead as scheduled, and that's a bloody good effort getting 198 games to the line. It is indeed. I'll tell you where else you'll always get a bloody good effort, Finey, and that's when you venture down to Albert Park and to a certain hamburger establishment. Can you tell me about it, please? Yeah, look, I mean, I wish everybody had the chance tomorrow to go to our wonderful friends at Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. It's a little bit difficult at the moment with travel restrictions and time restrictions, but they will continue to serve burgers. And those people that fall within the 5K radius are damn pleased that they do because they're a magnificent burger and the sort of feed that it soothes the appetite. It satiates the appetite, but it soothes the soul having a burger like that, one that you love, one that you're familiar with. Best burger in town, Andrews. I'll tell you what, it soothes my soul at the moment, having a nice refurbished house to live in because I'm clattering around a house that is slowly falling apart around me. So uh, where would I head if I was uh, keen to do something about that? West Point Properties could help you out with a new build or a renovation. And I tell you what, Rowan, you do worse than contact Nick Spartels and the team because the work that they put in is superb, but they do listen to the clients and 
meet their needs. And I guess that's key with a builder, isn't it? To work with the people that you're building for. And they are very empathetic, let me say that. Well, I know where to head for the best stats in town. That is to Stats Insider, a sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. And that includes this season's English Premier League and where their futures model is currently assessing Aston Villa as a 6.3% chance of being relegated. It doesn't surprise me overly, to be honest. Stats Insider simulates an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-match and in-game projections, Stats Insider is also known for their full season projections and which in the AFL has slashed the Bulldogs' premiership prospects to just 13%, and that ranks fifth overall, but a bit bit of a disappointing few weeks for the Doggies. Stats Insider is also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. In fact, I pinned a column for them just on Monday, so check that one out. Everything is free to use. Have a look at statsinsider.com.au. Give them a follow on Twitter, at Stats Insider while you're at it. All right, well, it all comes down to this final round of home and away games, some massive games looming, which will determine where, not where, it'll determine who will be playing in which final, what to get through. Let's start now. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Well, plenty of news happening. Uh, We should start with the most important, and that has to be the still unknown uh, destination and timing of, well, pretty much the whole final series, but, uh, well, specifically the last couple of weeks, the preliminary finals and grand final. uh, As we record this, and it's changing, (laughs) but as we record this, Perth, uh, pretty much an unbackable favourite to host this year's grand final and probably both preliminaries as well. Of course, their COVID situation, pretty healthy relative to the other major footy states. And uh, the AFL, I guess this is pretty massive too, Finey, and uh, pretty happy about this one, have abandoned the pre-finals by. So that week off being kept up their sleeve in case something untoward happens, in which case they would be quite prepared to delay the grand final by a week. Um, we should just touch on the pre-finals by, as you know, it's been a, a hobby horse of mine. Uh, we've now removed it, uh, not because they thought it was unfair or all the reasons they should, but understandably because of COVID. But it does change the equation, doesn't it? Certainly, I think um, in betting terms, whoever finishes top four will be firmer favourites for the flag than would be the case were they're the pre-finals by. Do you agree? Absolutely. Now, there is a precedence on winning your first final and getting a week off. And we know that with the pre-finals by, that put a lot of teams in the sort of um, cold section of the supermarket in terms of being max ready. It's a good thing. You've been a strong advocate of its uh, deletion for now, quite a few years and I've come on board. So we'll see how it plays out. It is a very different season, of course. But as we said a couple of weeks ago, it was sort of brought in surreptitiously, a bit of a Trojan horse, the 
alteration to teams and betting. And maybe now that it goes out in a COVID year, we can just forget about it altogether permanently. Well, how do you feel about the potential week off between the preliminary finals and the grand final? I mean, the obvious thing here is that uh, both teams would have equal preparation, which wasn't the case with the pre-finals by. Um, can you see, I mean, I, I only see that as being a plus for the grand final, to be honest. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily be bringing it in if they didn't need to, but uh, it's certainly going to freshen sides up. But I think it reduces the chance of a, a team that's sort of won through the hard way being absolutely cleaned up on grand final day. No, I don't like it much. It sort of backends the same problem that was created by the pre-finals buy. Because if a team wins their first final, has a buy, wins the preliminary final, has a buy, I still don't feel they've played enough football in that period of time. Now, that might be the case for two teams. But I would rather be the side that actually has the week off after playing the full final series. I just don't think at this stage of the year a team necessarily wants to play once in a matter of, you know, what would it be at, at, at extremities, 23, 24 days? Or oh, even more, 27 days. I think when Collingwood played in their 2019 preliminary final against GWS, it was one game in 29 days. So um... Yeah, well, there you go. I, I just don't think that's... I think I agree with much of the reasoning behind your loathing of the pre-finals by, and I think it carries on in a way to the pre-grand final by. Of course, this is an extraordinary year, and if it's required to facilitate the needs of the WA government, so be it. But I hope we don't have it. How are you feeling about the prospect of a Perth grand final? I've got to say, I'm, uh, I would, and I think, well, they've basically said, you know, we're not going to play a grand final in front of nobody. Uh, I think the absolute minimum threshold for an MCG grand final had to be 50,000. That is clearly not going to happen. I mean, we're in lockdown until, what, September the 2nd. You've got to have a couple of weeks after that before they sort of let crowds of any dimensions in at all. So we're pretty much locked in for Perth, I'd say. I was, um, I mean, look, I think it'd be okay anyway, but I've got to say the Dreamtime game this year with Essen and Richmond when they sold out 60,000 people for that, two Victorian teams, uh, and it was a fantastic spectacle. So um, no disrespect to the Gabba Grand Final last year, but I think this one in terms of atmosphere would be uh, terrific, don't you? Absolutely. And... As we sit here midweek prior to the last round of the season, to no Western Australian teams in the finals and obviously therefore no prospect of them playing in a grand final, I guess it gives the public over there plenty of time to wrap their heads around and, and also put their hands up to go to a grand final, but they've just got to accept it's not going to be one of their teams they're watching. Well, plenty of disruptions to the AFL season, but uh, there's been a heap more disruptions to the new look VFL season. And uh, boy, nothing has really gone right for that. It was always pretty uh, tenuous the way the thing was brought in. A 20-team competition with teams from all over the place, local Queensland teams, uh, reserve sides, standalone teams, you name it. It was a huge... 
constantly evolving beast. And um, the whole thing, well, it's been close to being belly up. Uh, of course, if the games have been off again because of lockdown. Um, the league has decided basically to end the home and away season as it stands now with teams having played only, well, around 10 games. Some That's another point. Some have played nine, some have played 11. So the final ladder has been worked out by the match ratio system. And what will happen is there will be four knockout finals, first playing eighth, second v seventh, et cetera. Those four winners will play off in two preliminary finals for a grand final, I think scheduled tentatively for the 19th of September. But just to underline how sort of precarious this whole thing is, uh, news just coming through this morning, one of those Queensland local teams, Aspley, has actually withdrawn its licence for next year. So one year into the New York competition and one of the teams is already out. Uh, it's less than ideal, isn't it? Where did they finish? 22nd, 43rd, 115th? It's just a, a, a competition that, well, this year it's hard to say exactly what that competition was meant to be anyhow because of the number of games that weren't able to be played because of COVID. But the whole competition doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. There was never going to be, even though there's some of the 22 teams, there was never going to be a fixture that had every team playing each other once anyhow. And I just wonder the motivation of teams that aren't in the AFL finals playing either reserves team or, or VFL team, we'll call it, a final series. You know, the whole thing really has not taken into account any respect for the pre-existing competition that was the VFA or the VFL. That being said, well done to Southport. The other Queensland team stands alone in the competition, finished second, so I'll be supporting them. Well, those four finals, just for those interested, Footscray. Uh, the Bulldogs reserve side, they finished on top of the ladder. They will be playing GWS. Southport, as you mentioned, they finished second. They take on Collingwood. Box Hill will be playing Williamstown and Geelong will be playing Casey. So those four finals, uh, we won't see them until the weekend after this, uh, September 4, I think is the scheduled date for them. But uh, boy, new look competition and uh, new look issues for that competition to deal with already. Uh, one thing that isn't a new look issue, because, uh, boy, we're used to seeing this name in the headlines, but Hawthorne President Jeff Kennett uh, actually has been a, a little bit low-key since the Alistair Clarkson uh, saga uh, ended, and that wasn't a great look for him, and it's probably looked less um, good or gooder each week uh, as the Hawks... Um, pretty decent late season form has continued. But interesting development. Former uh, Premiership Hawk, James Morrissey, the freak. Remember him? Everyone of our vintage. What a incredibly skilled footballer he was. I think uh, part of three Hawthorne Premierships, 88, 89, 91. He has uh, penned a column basically um, calling for the departure of Jeff Kennett as president citing a number of issues, Clarkson being at the top of the list, but also treatment of a uh, certified club legend in Don Scott. 
Um, and I think just that sense that Jeff Kennett and whatever uh, brain fart comes into his head is sort of uh, defining Hawthorne's public platform rather than uh, the things they should be dealing with. And he talks about a, a pretty spineless sort of board that isn't prepared to challenge Kennett, um, et cetera, et cetera. There's certainly been a lot of disquiet among the Hawk membership over the Clarkson thing. Uh, would that be enough to tip out Kennett as president for a second time? Um, I've got my doubts. He's a political beast and he knows how to play the power game. But uh, the, uh, the emergence of such a public figure and a, a revered Hawthorne great, um, I think certainly changes the dimensions in the same way that Don Scott's emergence during the merger stuff 25 years ago really gave the anti-merger forces a rallying point. Now, James Morris, he's not saying he wants to be on the board or be president or anything, but I just wonder if he becomes sort of the um, the lightning rod for those people who've had enough of Jeff Kennett as Hawthorne president finding. He may well be that figure. You go through some of the things that he's pointed out, some of the points he's made. First of all, he concedes Jeff Kennett has been good for the club, but he notes the loss of a once-in-a-generation coach, Alistair Clarkson, as you say, puts that on top. Don Scott and his non-elevation to Legion status at the club seems to be a standoff between Scott and Kennett. And they're both interesting characters, but as Morrissey points out, you know, it's humiliating for a, an absolute champion of the club to have been put through this. Interesting, he mentions about the move to Dingley and that stalling. And the and I've always found this an incredible contradiction that Jeff Kennett is so important in Beyond Blue, yet still has happily stewardship over a club that derives revenues from poker machines, despite assurances that that would have ended a year ago. And Morrissey is scathing on that. I think that's a, a very valid point. As you say, he's a political beast, Kenneth Rowan, and it's hard to mobilise the troops at this particular point in time in Australia. I don't know exactly how he's deposed, but people have other things on their mind at the moment. And, you know, weeks, days turn into weeks, weeks into a couple of months, and then it's too late. I'm not quite sure what the process is at Hawthorne, but as I said, you could sneak in through the cover of lockdown six or seven and just be reappointed unopposed. Yeah, well, it's an interesting uh, scenario. I think he's, Jeff Kennett's legacy uh, is sort of being diminished uh, almost with every um, next Hawthorne win because the, the Clarkson thing, I've got to say, you look at it now, he's coaching as well as ever. He's going to be coaching an opposition club. He's a once-in-a-lifetime coach. It also sort of heaps uh, an unfair amount of pressure on Sam Mitchell is a replacement, and, you know, that was going to be felt anyway. And Essendon can tell you, it's not very... Or Matthew Knights can tell you, it's not very easy becoming the uh, next coach after a legend departs after that long a spell. Um, but... It, it does help when you're a favourite son of the club as a former player. That will that will cut him some slack. Yeah, no, that's a fair point, and that's certainly something Matthew Knights didn't have. But, um, yeah, it's there's a... 
interesting times for the Hawks. They obviously haven't been performing that well on the field the last couple of years and their off-field reputation being eroded to a degree, um, which sort of has memories of the last time they went through a similar sort of thing in the very early 90s, a bit of bird uh, board turmoil that went on there. All right, we'll watch that space. Uh, see next time Kenneth's name pops up in the headlines. I'd probably give it about five minutes. Um, all right, we've got a score of looming retirements this week in the final home and away round. But just before we get to them, we have one return, a long-awaited return, and that is of West Coast Premiership player Willie Rioli whose two-year suspension over drug use expires on midnight Friday evening. And he will play for West Coast against Brisbane this weekend. Gee, it's been a long time. His last game for the Eagles was the elimination final of 2019 against Essendon on September the 5th. So just on two years, um, He's done a video for club supporters. Bit of a forgotten man there for obvious reasons. But, uh, boy, in retrospect, haven't they missed him? We know they've got Liam Ryan. He's been great for them. But, gee, I wonder how much better the Eagles might have done the last couple of years with Rioli prowling around uh, at ground level underneath that bevy of tall forwards they have finding. Oh, Rowan, he must have been so frustrated because he's been apparently working extremely hard to be in a physical condition to play footy, you never match fit till you play a game at the level. But still, how frustrated would he have been over the last couple of weeks, especially last week, losing to Fremantle, watching, sitting back, watching his side slip out of the A's. And, of course, it's now beyond their control. They're unlikely to make finals. So as interesting as the one-game comeback will be, he would have been hoping to have a, a final series in which to prove, not only prove, but actually to strut his stuff and to hopefully regain the form that he had prior to the two years away from the game. Look, when it comes to bans for drugs, I think performance-enhancing drugs, zero tolerance among sports fans in Australia, illicit drugs, likewise, but marijuana, maybe two years, even though there was a sort of a a hiccup in that two years. I think people are pretty sympathetic towards Willie Rioli and also feel that it's too long on the sidelines when you consider that players can self-report use of harder drugs, Class A drugs, and just not even be known who they are and play on. This bloke misses two years. Yeah, very unfair from where I sit. I hope he hits the ground running this week. And if he doesn't play again this year, that he's a real telling factor in 2022. Well, they certainly need him uh, this week. Really tough task for them taking on the Lions at the Gabba. And we'll have a full preview of that shortly. But I mentioned the retirements. Boy, it's a long list. And... uh, I'm sure there'll be a few announced after we record this. So uh, if you do listen to this later in the week, uh, we haven't ignored them. They just haven't been announced yet. In fact, uh, just as we were preparing to record this, another one being announced, and that was Sean McKernan, uh, more lately of St Kilda, but Essendon and Adelaide. He is hanging up the boots, but uh, I'll just read through the list and then we'll, I guess, 
you know, talk a little bit about the most obvious names. So here's the list as it stands now with McKernan. Eddie Betts, of course, the biggest name on this list, and he's been paid appropriate kudos over the last few days. His teammate, Mark Murphy, we did talk about him last week. Patrick Ambrose, Kale Hooker, Essendon stalwart and uh, one-time All-Australian. Triple Richmond Premiership player, David Asbury, uh, at just 30. That one, I think, surprised a few people. Sean Burgoyne, 400-game player. And, of course, lots of justified uh, adulation going his way when he brought up the 400 milestone recently. It's the end for Sean. Jack Hompsch, Zach Smith, Jordan Murdoch, Chris Mayne, Daniel Venables. Boy, a sad story, that one. In fact, a really good story written by uh, Mick McGuan and Glenn McFarlane in the Herald Sun during the week about his battle uh, after a horrible incident in which he was knocked out and uh, has been having terrible headaches and concussion symptoms for two years. And I think just nine or eight or nine games after playing in a premiership, um, he's been forced to retire after only about 20 games. So uh, really bad luck for Daniel Venables. Tyson Stengel, Levi Greenwood. Uh, hanging them up after a few years at Collingwood, of course, started at North Melbourne. Stephen Hill, Fremantle star. Who could forget his uh, match-winning goal in that famous qualifying final win down at Geelong 2013. Jonathan Patton, of course, that happened earlier in the season. Tom Scully, ditto for both of those for the Hawks more recently. Tom Rockliffe, Dylan Roberton and Lynn Jong. So some big names among that group, Finey. Yeah, funny, Dylan Robertson getting a mention. He's obviously been off the scene for a long time now, but I guess officially on the list this year at St Kilda. And again, uh, that was a very different issue with uh, his heart being the reason why, of course, famously, or sadly, uh, during a game of football, having been taken from the field. But Eddie Betts, the game's going to miss Eddie Betts. Let's hope that the last couple of weeks, which has really saddened Eddie in relation to what happened in Adelaide with Taylor Walker and Robbie Young, doesn't um, sour his memory. And certainly we hope that he plays some role going forward because he's actually a really good media performer, but he's just such a a smiling, light-up-the-room type personality. And football needs those players, even when they hang up the boots, to be around the scene. Just on, Eddie, as... just on Eddie Betts, I was yeah. asked uh, yesterday to choose my favourite Eddie Betts moment and I thought oh, I'll do this pretty quickly. Well, it took me about half an hour because the, the highlights reel is uh, pretty amazing. Some of those goals, in the end, I went for a goal he kicked for Adelaide against GWS in 2016 at one goal of a year, but incredible bit of play where he sort of slid to the boundary line, kept the ball in play with one hand skirted around the outside of the Giants, Nick Haynes, outside the boundary line, keeping the ball in, then went inside, I think, Adam Tomlinson and curled a a snap around his body with the right boot. Um, But, you know, look, there was a dozen similar ones like that. Uh, Just a a human highlight reel, really, wasn't he? He was. And I've got to say, I would say that the handful of very best goals, interestingly enough, were scored for Adelaide. I don't know. You know, he he was 
deadly and brilliant around goals and spectacular for Carlton. But yeah, I, I, I would say the top two or three might be Adelaide goals, goals of the year, of course, with Adelaide backing that up. Cale Hook is an interesting one because he won't be able to get a send-off, unfortunately. He deserves one, but there'll be no sentiment in the selection of Essendon's side to play on the weekend because they have to win to ensure their spot in the finals. And he's not in their best 22, but he certainly has been a very good player up both ends of the ground. And I guess sort of um, he won't want to be remembered as the man that chases Buddy Franklin, but I guess other people will remember him as that much, much more, of course. Well, I reckon he, uh, he certainly, I remember interviewing him a couple of years after that when he turned, I mean, that was a real turning point for him, actually, that moment. He talked about his dread every time that uh, that bit of footage came up on, on the screen. He's always had an awkward running style and he certainly looked laboured in tearing or try, trying to catch, chase down Buddy Franklin along the MCG wing. But uh, boy, he, you know, he was such a good defender, great judgment, strength. Uh, that won him an All-Australian gong. But then uh, with Essendon really struggling to kick goals, he got thrown forward and had a terrific year where he played as a key forward as well. And even earlier this season, yep. um, he was high up in the Coleman medal. So he's certainly a guy that squeezed the absolute best out of himself and uh, a real favourite among Bomber fans. So well done to him. Asprey. Just on Cale Hooker, I can't think of a player that, instills less confidence as he runs in to kick a goal, but very rarely misses. Yeah, no, he's been he's been pretty accurate. David Asprey's the one that really intrigues me because I didn't get a sense that that was on the cards. And, um, you know, he's had some injury issues in the last couple of years, but uh, he's been terrific for the Tigers. And Dylan Grimes, his teammate yesterday, talking about just how good he's been. I mean, we're wondering where Richmond are and you see things like that and you think, well, Perhaps it really is the end of an era. They're certainly going to have to do a bit of remodelling of their defensive setup because I think we expect Bashar Hooli perhaps to hang him up as well. So uh, some interesting reorganisation to be done in the Tiger defence. Yeah, I, again, you're right. It was a surprise to hear him hang, say that, uh, well, announce that he's hanging up the boots, final game this weekend. But I guess when you consider a team that's going to have to do some rebuilding, they were bolted to come back into that back line. It's not a matter of reading the tea leaves. I think he's really doing the the right thing by the club and probably for a triple premiership player, just very, very happy to be a one-club player. So a combination, I think, of knowing where he is in Richmond's timeline what they'll be doing next year and also wanting to do the right thing by the club and also by himself and his Richmond legacy. So well done. A very good footballer, highly underrated. Just on that too, I've done a, uh, a piece for ESPN, which will be available on footyology tomorrow. Uh, a hypothetical exercise, assuming Richmond's era is over, ranking it alongside the other great post-2000 eras, and that is, of course, Brisbane, uh, Geelong and Hawthorne. So uh, check that out. It's a very interesting hypothetical exercise, and it wasn't as clear-cut as some people might think. Uh, Just quickly on Asprey, I've got a, a little story about David Asprey. 
my daughter Harper's a Richmond supporter and uh, started barracking for the team about seven years ago when she was seven years old and we got her a jumper and mum asked Harper whose number she wanted on the back of the jumper and she said Jack Rewalt's. So Natalie looked up Rewalt. Unfortunately, she got Nick Rewalt and didn't really look very carefully and he wore number 12. So Harper's first jumper was number 12 and she became a fan of David Asprey by unintentionally, sort of by proxy. But yeah, she she cottoned onto Asprey before most Richmond supporters did. Uh, that rings a bell. I remember as a five-year-old inheriting my brother's Essendon jumper, which had number 23 on the back, which had been Ken Fraser. By the time I started wearing it, it was Peter Hickmott. Um, <laughs> so there you go. Traded that in for Des Tudnam when he came to Essendon. Anyway, there is the news this week. Plenty going on, but not as big as the nine games, which will determine the finishing order of the 2021 AFL ladder. Massive games, massive possibilities. Let's preview them. On Footyology, wrap around. The first game of the final home and away round, and what a cracker it is. Two top four sides, Western Bulldogs and Port Adelaide. They meet at Marvel Stadium, 7.50pm Friday night. Of course, we'll be there for Footyology final siren post-game to break that down and take your questions. But uh, this should be a belter, much on the line for both these teams. Palmerbet are telling us that the home side, the Bulldogs, are favourite for this one. They are paying a dollar seventy head to head against the power, despite those uh, two losses in a row the last couple of weeks. Port Adelaide paying two dollars seventeen. Stats Insider say that a win here by the power, and they guarantee themselves two Adelaide-based finals for the second season in a row. With that said. They've lost all three of their clashes against top four teams this season. In fact, Port have lost 24 of their last 27 games against top four opponents over the last five years. Remarkable. Uh, When you contrast that with the fact that they have now beaten, I think, 21 consecutive bottom eight opponents. As for the Bulldogs, last week was just the eighth time all season any club has posted less than 36 inside 50s in a game. And Port just happens to be the league's third best team when it comes to giving up inside 50 entries, averaging just 47.2 conceded per game on the season. So uh, a power strength is perhaps a recent Bulldog weakness. Uh, what about at selection, Fidey? Any uh, big changes either coming in or out for either of these teams? Yes, absolutely. The Bulldogs are not going to hesitate in bringing Stefan Martin back in the side. I think they realise that to be a force in the final series, and even to hold on to that top four spot, which they need to do by winning this game, they need support for Tim English, meaningful support, and they were much better when Stefan Martin and English played together. So he comes into the side, I've got no doubt about that. Lewis Young likely to miss out. And then the big question is Jamara Eugle Hagen, who was managed last week. Well, I don't know whether that's true. He just wasn't in their best 22. Uh, do they look at that performance and say they need the second forward? I think they probably do. And who misses out? Well, one of their 
smaller players, one of their own ballers likely to miss out. I don't know how the shuffle works. Anthony Scott was a the unused medical sub last week and somebody will be forced into that position. As for Port Adelaide, well, they've got a bit of a concern with Scott Lysette, actually. He's touch and go. I think he will play, but there are injury concerns. Re Scott Lysette and a sword knee. But again, they must win that game, treat it like a final. So I think he plays. The likely inclusion is Trent McKenzie, actually, who is right to come back to the team. And he's favoured over the likes of a Tom Cleary at the moment. So expect McKenzie to come into the team. So how does this game play out? Well, gee, first of all, I'm not worried about Port Adelaide playing at Marvel Stadium. They've been there in recent weeks and it's not a ground that they've struggled at, actually. They've won there. As for the Bulldogs, boy, I'm concerned about their adjustment to life without Bruce because they have not made it yet. I know this is a fact. Their backline has struggled for most of the season. Dixon will be a handful. And... Their midfield, who was up against one of the best midfields in the comp, will have to be on their game. But I'm going to lean towards Port Adelaide. I know the Palmer bet says the Bulldogs are favourites and probably on the back of Port Adelaide's poor form against top four teams. But for mine, the Bulldogs have been poor the last two weeks. They need to find something. And here's a chance for Port Adelaide to come from the clouds and be a real player heading into the final. So for mine... Port Adelaide in an ale-biter by three points. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, the odds surprised me. I mean, not not uh, that they aren't tight, but I thought they might be even closer than they are. And one reason for that is uh, Port Adelaide's record at this venue. Um, they have played there five times already this season, so certainly shapes up uh, okay in terms of familiarity. And their record is five and zip. They have won every one of those five games. Those wins coming against, admittedly, North Melbourne, Hawthorne, um, St Kilda, Collingwood, and most recently, a couple of weeks ago, against GWS. But they play this ground okay. Look, I I think the Doggies have, by and large, been a really good team this season. I think um, they've played perhaps the most potent football of anyone at stages. Uh, there's a bit of recency bias, I think, in the um, the uh, downturn of their popularity as a flag choice. And look, they haven't been good at all. They were terrible last week. They really do need to get that forward structure ticking over better than it did in Launceston against the Hawks and indeed against Essendon. And that was before Josh Bruce got injured. But I think they can do that. I think um, Luke Beveridge has proved pretty adept at uh, making the best of what he's got and engineering solutions out of seemingly not that much. One thing I definitely need finding is Aaron Norton to come back into form because uh, he was on fire in the first half of the season but really has tailed off a bit in recent weeks. So all about getting that forward set up working better and the scoreboard ticking over a bit more smoothly. But I'm going to maintain my faith in them. I think... uh, They've worked too hard to let this opportunity slip. It'll be tragic for them if they uh, missed out on a double chance after everything they've done. So I reckon they can find enough. I don't think it's going to be by much, but I am going for the Western Bulldogs by two points. So that is a massive Friday night clash. Uh, Some big games on Saturday. Let's have a chat about them. 
first game on the Saturday menu, uh, this one without a bearing on the top eight. Um, surprising we're saying that about uh, these two combatants, perhaps uh, only 12 or 24 months ago. It is Richmond taking on Hawthorne at the MCG, 1.35pm Saturday afternoon. Disappointing follow-up for the Tigers this year. will miss finals for the first time since 2016. And they go into this game as outsiders against Hawthorne. Who would have thought that at the start of this season? On Palmerbet, the Hawks paying $1.54 head-to-head and the Tigers, you can get $2.50 on them. Stats Insider, what do they say about this game? Well, it's been five years since a player not named Gunston, Bruce or Roughhead has kicked at least 30 goals in a season for Hawthorne. And if Jacob Kaczynski can kick at least three goals this week, he would achieve that number. Kaczynski has kicked at least a goal in 14 of his 19 matches this season, while he's taken 18 marks more inside 50 than any other Hawk in 2021. Certainly one of the young guns that the Hawks are attaching their future to. Um Finish of a disappointing year for the Tigers. They've had injury issues all season. Anyone coming back for them, Finey? And what are the Hawks doing selection-wise? Well, they are going to play David Asprey. They've announced that even though he was a late withdrawal last week with a quad injury, with the announcement of his retirement, Asprey will play. He'll come in for Garthwaite, I would have thought. And Trent Coxon, who got a knock to the knee last week, won't be considered, I don't believe, and he could be replaced by a score of players. Do they go for the more experienced McIntosh or Marlian Pickett or youngsters Will Martin or Collier Dawkins? I reckon Collier Dawkins will get the nod. As for the Hawks, they've got a couple of decent midfielders to bring back in. Amira and Warple should be right to go, and everybody wants to play in, not just Clarko's last game, but of course Sean Burgoyd, so I think they'll certainly be afforded that opportunity and maybe Connor Downey and Morrison might miss out. We'll just wait and see how they go. But I expect the two more senior midfielders to play. Isn't it amazing? Richmond can't make the finals. They're up against the Hawks, who, you know, even for the first half of this season, you'd be shocked that you're expecting Hawthorne to win this game, but I am expecting them to win it. And not because of the emotional kick that you get when somebody like Clarko speaks to you for the last time before you run out onto the field. I imagine that'll be telling simply because of form and because of the lineups. No coction, but O'Meara and Warple strongly tips the scales in the balance of Hawthorne through the midfield battle. Their ruck duo of McAvoy and Segler are working well enough to feed that midfield and as you say, Kashitsky's had a good season. He's got other support down forward. And for Richmond, I think they'll be looking to hit the sheds, have more of a break than they've had in four years and might find it hard to summons the energy to really be super competitive. Hawthorne comfortably for mine by 39 points. Gee, that's a reasonable margin. Uh, I was just deciding then, actually, do I, I've been on the Tigers all year and refused to give them up. Do I go with them one last time? But uh, you've swayed me, I think. Uh, look, the Hawks playing some really good footy in the last month or so of season. I'll tell you one thing, Richmond will certainly be hoping 
this final game of a season isn't the same as the last time they missed out on finals. Remember that final game of 2016, they got absolutely taken apart by Sydney at the SCG by more than 100 points. And boy, the dynasty that was imminent sure looked a long way off then. Um, yeah, it'd be hard for them to fire up. I think the obvious motivation for the Hawks of Alistair Clarkson's last game, and uh, you can overcook those sort of moments, I think, but uh, it's been such an amazing legacy. I think they will be absolutely driven to give him the right result, and they're playing good enough footy on their own terms anyway. They have been pretty outstanding for the last month and definitely held sway over the doggies down in Launceston last week. So um, I can't tip against the Hawks either. I think it might be closer uh, than you reckon. I'm going for Hawthorne in this one by six points. That is the first game. Second afternoon game on Saturday between Sydney and Gold Coast. 145 Marvel Stadium, Sydney gearing up for another finals appearance after a couple of years outside the eight. What a wonderful season they have had up against Gold Coast, who are well used by now to their season wrapping up in round 23. Not necessarily with the same uh, pall of doom and gloom hanging over the club this time. They have had some decent wins uh, in the recent past. Uh, the odds, though, pretty disparate odds for this game from Palmerbet, who have Sydney, a hot favourite, head-to-head, paying $1.19. Gold Coast, well, they had a couple of decent performances at Marvel Stadium. Can they conjure another one? Well, if you think that, you can get $4.80 on their prospects against the Swans head-to-head at Palmerbet. Um, check updated odds on the app or at palmerbet.com. Com. Always remember to gamble responsibly, of course. Uh, Stats Insider say if the Suns lose this one, they will cement a bottom four place for the sixth time in the last seven seasons. Interestingly, Gold Coast have won two of their last three games against Sydney. Defensively, Sydney is still making teams work exceptionally hard. In fact, it's taking Swans opponents on average 2.9 kicks to generate an uncontested mark, which is the highest rate in the league, while they still rank number one for total metres gained differential. Uh, well, not much of the Gold Coast to play for. Any last hurrahs for a few of their players looming, Finey? And what about the Swans? Uh, that man, Buddy, being spelled last week. Is he coming back? Uh, we'll start with the Swans. Yeah, Buddy will come back into that side. Their form in the last couple of weeks has been sketchy, hasn't it? Losing to St Kilda and only getting over the top of North Melbourne in the last 15 minutes of the game. And John Longmire, who has prepared a premiership team, understands the importance of hitting the finals in the best possible nick. And that doesn't just mean physically, but it also means form. So he'll want Buddy to play. He'll be pleased at Chad Warner, who's been out with a stress fracture to the fibula is available to play. He's played a couple of uh, sort of intra-club scratch matches with Sydney and uh, reserves, what they've been able to put together. And he will definitely come into the team. Jake Lloyd was a late withdrawal last week. Or maybe, I don't know if he's a late withdrawal, but he, he didn't play last week. He was just rested. He's available. He comes back into the side. 
and they probably give Tom Hickey a rest. Now, Hayden McLean could come in and do some ruck work. I reckon they might go that way and leave Sam Reid up forward because there's not a huge press to have a ruckman like Sinclair play against Gold Coast, the reason being that Gold Coast don't really have a recognised first ruckman anyhow. Now, Gold Coast, on the other hand, oh, by the way, Nick Blakey, of course, out for the season with a broken fibula, and that is a a pity because he was in decent form. He really is the only major injury concern for the Swans heading to the finals, so that's good news for them. As for Gold Coast, a forgotten man will get a send-off, and that is Jared Harbrow. He's going to play his final game of league football for the Gold Coast. He'll be recalled for the injured Jack Bowes. I can make short, sharp work of this one, Rowan. Yeah, their form hasn't been good, so they'll be desperate, Sydney, to put in a better showing. And as for Gold Coast, they've had their moments in the last few few weeks, and they've also had some moments to forget in the last few weeks. But with Sydney focused on the finals and Gold Coast really packing up shop and hoping for a better season next year, I think we've got two different levels of motivation. So I could go through where the playing strengths are. I don't need to. Motivation's a big thing in footy. Sydney by 31. Well, I can make even shorter, sharper work of it because uh, this is going to be a shellacking. I watched Gold Coast closely last week down Geelong against Essendon and they stunk it up. After about 15 minutes of effort, they were just totally picked apart. Uh, Managed two goals in three quarters, just four for the game. Nothing to play for here. Um, The Swans, plenty to play for. So they will make short work of them. Uh, This could be a conservative margin. I think I'm going for Sydney by 42 points. All right, next cab off the rank on Saturday. It's a big one. Huge stakes involved for both teams. It is in Queensland. Massive game this one, 4.35 at the Gabba. Brisbane taking on West Coast. Brisbane, depending on uh, Friday night's result, may have a chance, a crack at another double chance for a third year in a row, top four finish. West Coast, they have to win to have any chance of playing finals this season, you would think. So huge stakes for them after losing the Derby Last week, Palmer bet odds for this one. Well, they have Brisbane hot favourite, paying $1.21 head-to-head. West Coast, the $4.50 outsider. Uh, Stats Insider tell us that a Lion win and a Bulldog loss, and it's very likely Brisbane will finish top four for a third straight season. Last week's 142-point return against Collingwood was their highest score of the season. Well, that was just the second time Charlie Cameron has ever kicked six goals in a game. When Cameron has kicked at least four goals in a match, his teams, Adelaide and Brisbane, have won all 14 assignments in his career. They're 25-6 when he's kicked at least three. So that's interesting. He's definitely very much a barometer for Brisbane, as he was for Adelaide when he played there. Well, desperate times for the Eagles, Finey. Uh, we know Willie Rioli's coming back. Anyone else coming back for the Eagles? Well, I mean, Willie Rioli is a huge in, of course, and more are they going to play Josh Kennedy because Josh Kennedy broke his finger last week, but I think they're going to roll the dice and play him. He said he's available. The big out 
is Tim Kelly. Now, that is a worry, of course. Injured his knee last week and how long he's out for. Well, it might only be the one week if Essendon beat Collingwood because there'll be no more for West Coast Eagles. They won't know that going into the game, of course, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So I expect Rioli in for Kelly, Kennedy to play, and that might be the only moves they make. As for their opponents, Brisbane, a couple of good ins, Marcus Adams. Now, we've made a lot of Hipwood not being available, but Marcus Adams putting together a great season, injured his foot about a month ago, but he's right to return and they'll want him in that side, ready to go for the finals and playing in this important game. And Mitch Robinson, who's been out for a couple of weeks also, is ready to return. Who misses out? Jackson Pryor will be sound. I'm pretty confident of that. And then it's a hard choice. Uh, you know what? I'm not certain. Kadeen Coleman's being good. I'm going to say Berry will be the unlucky player to miss out. Can they afford the luxury of Cockatoo up forward? He's been a good news story. Kicked a couple last week, but it's going to be a premium on spots. It'll be a really interesting one to keep an eye on. Who misses out when Robinson comes back in, which I say is this week. Now, the game itself, first of all, the Port Adelaide beat Brisbane. Uh, beat um, the Bulldogs, opening the door for the top four for Brisbane. They're an absolute living moral. They're a little bit different if Bulldogs win because, of course, then the motivation falls onto the West Coast side with Brisbane much less to play for. Boy, I'd like to make this tip after that Friday night game, but such is the nature of our program that I can't. So I tipped Port Adelaide, which means I'm tipping Brisbane. I'll go no further because I really believe mindset is going to be a telling factor in this weekend's footy. So if I get the first one right, I'll get the second one right, and I'm pretty comfortable with that tip. Brisbane by 27. I'm going for the Lions as well. Uh, they really look to have recovered not just their their zip and, and that great running game that they apply at their best, but uh, that scoreboard pressure, as you heard uh, the Stats Insider stats last week, easily their highest score of the season. Pretty worried about the Eagles. Look, they um, they were right in it against the Dockers, obviously, made a flying comeback, but did get headed by the best part of seven goals first up. Uh, and some interesting cracks emerging in what has been a, a pretty consistent formula for them. Um, they've been found wanting when it comes to the contested game. And that's something that needs to be worked on. But one, I don't think it's had enough uh, publicity, really. We talk about how good their defensive setup has been, the weagle web and the capacity of those defenders to zone off. But this might be a consequence of um, midfield issues. But they have really bled um, scores to opponents who've penetrated that uh, defensive 50. In fact, they uh, leak more opposition scores per entry than any team in the competition this year except North Melbourne, which is quite remarkable when you're thinking about them as, uh, until last week anyway, a top eight side. So um, they need a bit of overhauling in the back line as well as in list demographic terms because they're a pretty ageing uh, side the Eagles. So a bit of thinking to do. And um, I suspect Adam Simpson might have a bit more time to think about it because I don't think they are going to make the finals. And that would be the first time they'd miss the finals, obviously, since the first year of Simpson's reign there, 2014. Too much for Brisbane to play for. They're back in town. 
Um, even if they don't get the top four spot, I think they can really build some more confidence. I'm going for them to win this one and officially extinguish West Coast Finals flame by 20 points in that game at the Gabba. All right, that is the Twilight game. We've got two Saturday night games, uh, both of them in Melbourne. Next game on the schedule. Uh, Effectively, a battle for top position on the ladder and this year's AFL minor premiership. Not sure that's that's significant, but uh, still something for the history book. 7.25 p.m. GMH, BA Stadium, Geelong taking on Melbourne. Melbourne, if they win, will definitely finish on top. The Cats, if they win, will almost certainly finish on top unless uh, Port Adelaide the previous evening had a smashing of the Western Bulldogs, which you think unlikely. Uh, Big game in terms of getting ready for this finals campaign. And uh, not much separating these teams on the odds, courtesy of Palmerbet, the Cats. Only a slight favourite, even at their own uh, much-vaunted backyard. They are paying $1.85 head-to-head Geelong. Melbourne paying $1.95 on Palmerbet. Stats Insider say that the Demons have won only one of their last 11 games against the Cats at Cadinia Park. With that said... Melbourne has performed better than any team this season against top four and top eight opponents, winning at least 75% of their clashes in either category. Melbourne ranks first for contested possessions and contested marks. The last team to do that over the course of a season was Melbourne, again, in 2018. They certainly are the contested ball kings. Um, some interesting matchups looming here, but some big outs, particularly for the Cats. Fine, tell us about them. Okay, here's how it goes. There's certainly going to be some ins for Geelong of note. Gary Rowan comes into the side, and we know that when those three forwards play together, Cameron, Hawkins, and Rowan, that's a handful. And Tom Atkins is a good chance to come back as well. They'd love him to return with Tom Stewart. Of course, now out for the season. And if he returns, Zach Guthrie will probably miss out. The return of Rowan might put Radigalia in some danger. He was barely cited in last week's game against St Kilda. And Reece Stanley did well enough in the ruck to hold that position down. He can get some help from maybe a Blitzarbs for a chop out or another player. But Radigalia in danger. And do they bring Narkle back? If so... Maxie Holmes might be in a bit of strife or Sam Simpson. They both contributed last week. I think they both hold their spots. As for their opponents, the Demons, Stephen May back in the team, of course, just as good as the forward line of Geelong, that Troika is the duo of Lever and May, and they're back together. McDonald should be right to return. That's bad news for Melksham. I would have thought, by the way, Joel Smith made way for May. He'll have to, um, Joel Smith came in for May. He'll have to make way. And Viney is ready to return to the team. So they've got players to return. No question about it. Who misses out for Viney? Poor old Tom Sparrow is normally the victim there, isn't he? It's a ripping game. Great way to win the season. As I say, forward line up and running for Geelong. Melbourne's back line. The band's back together there. Who holds the trump card in that battle? Hard to tell. If Cameron's on song as he was last week, 
very difficult to stop. My instinct, though, interestingly, pushes me in Melbourne's favour. Why? Because I think Gorn, who's in great form, has it over his opponent. And the midfields match up well, but to be honest, Petrarca, Oliver, Viney back in the team, they're, they're going to stand up and be a force to be reckoned with. And I reckon there might be some stoppage football. That's where those boys excel. And as for the forward line, with Fritz kicking seven last week, they'd be re- absolutely excited to get out and play another game of footy. Jackson's dangerous up there. Brown's working. McDonald back. Too much for that Geelong back line. They were vulnerable early against St Kilda. And I think they'll be vulnerable all night against the Demons, who I tip to win by 13 points. Yeah, it's a brave person that tips against uh, the Cats at the Cattery Finey. Uh, yeah, I'm still making up my mind as we speak. Um, all the indicators point towards Melbourne, don't they? Particularly, I think, uh, the way Melbourne dealt with Geelong in that first meeting this season. That was back in round four at the MCG. But the Demons pretty much led that one start to finish, one by 25 points and kept the Cats to just nine goals in the process. Uh, I wasn't overly impressed with the Cats' form against your Saints last week. They really left their run late. Uh, They just seemed to have stagnated again and it's sort of looking disturbingly like uh, some previous seasons where their sort of first half of the season form has been a lot stronger than that in the second half. And again, I know he didn't play last week, but Tom Stewart, I mean, his absence, uh, you can see the gaping void it left in the defensive setup, and that's going to be the case again. I don't think Melbourne were outstanding against Adelaide. They uh, Adelaide played all right, but uh, it took some pyrotechnics, if you like, from Bailey Fritch to, to land that win. Um, look, my head is saying Melbourne, but I wouldn't say my heart's saying Geelong, but the weight of history for me is saying Geelong. They just hardly get beaten down there. And uh, I think that's prevailed over a long time. And uh, I think they can keep that record intact and potentially finish on top of the ladder. Again, I don't think it's going to be by much at all. I'm going for the Cats to win this one by eight points. And finally, uh, we've gone for different teams, but I do have a little bit of room to play with here because heading into the final round, I do lead you in the tipping by 11. So basically, I could go for any underdog I like. Um, I could actually even go for Aspley and uh, I will still win the tipping between us for about, I think, the 17th year in a row. So um, any comment on that, Fanny? Well, Hubris brought down a couple of football clubs that we know pretty well, yours being one of them. Uh, it's brought down many a politician and it'll bring you down, but I'll have to wait till next year to prove it. <laughs> Correct. It's not going to bring me down immediately with an 11 tip lead. No, look, seriously, um, flip of the coin this one, but I'm going for the Cats by eight points. Uh, That's the first of two Saturday games. The other one, Saturday night games, the other one is at Marvel Stadium. 7.40pm Marvel Stadium. Carlton taking on GWS. Uh, It's all over for Carlton, of course, and could be all over for their coach, David Teague. Much speculation that he's about to get the uh, lemon and sass 
in rhyming slang parlance. Big stakes to the Giants, though. They are in seventh spot, two points ahead of three teams on 40 points, but they need to win to ensure a finals berth again after missing out last year. If they lose and two of Essendon, West Coast and Fremantle win, they are out again as quickly as they came back inside the eight. So massive stakes for them, but the difference in agendas pretty much reflected in the odds from Palmer Bet for this game. The Giants, pretty warm favourites, $1.29 head-to-head. Carlton, well, if you uh, have fantasies about a last hurrah fatigue or Eddie Betts or whatever, you can get the Blues paying $3.64 head-to-head at Palmer Bet. Stats Insider say this will be David Teague's 50th and likely last game as Carlton coach. Last week's 144 points conceded to the power, which was 19, I think, consecutive goals, was the highest in the Teague era, while that 95-point margin was also the heftiest. If Carlton can cause an upset here, and if one of the WA teams can also produce a win, as I said, the Giants will likely miss finals for a second straight season. They've had a cavalcade of injured players fighting. They've done it the hard way. Have they got any more big names returning for this crack at a final spot? Yeah, well, interesting what they do at selection. Toby Green's back for sure. We know that after that controversial one-week suspension. And then the controversial one, the one that I suggested might not happen. I know we got some feedback from a giant supporter. I, I don't think they bring Canilio back into the team, but he's available and maybe they do. I guess the weight of um, public opinion would suggest he would come back into the side. Peatling would miss out for, say, Canilio, and maybe Stein, who's pretty good, would miss out for Toby Green. As for their opponents, Carlton, Mark Murphy's retired, and Patrick Cripps should be right to go, but no Harry Mackay and no Liam Jones. And no chance, by the way, Carlton. Unfortunately, that team has, over the last, you know, over the last week and, and just fallen apart. The David Teague affair is unfortunate. It, it's got Carlton fingerprints all over it, and Ross Lyon might already be their man for next season. There's a bit of intel around that. I mean, that Carlton board, they're about as loyal as a pet crocodile. They just... David Teague deserves better because he's done pretty well with limited resources and unfortunately he's not going to be able to rest on the laurels of a win in the last round to help him out. Why not? Because GWS playing brilliantly and that forward line, Taranto kicked four last week. He just slots back into the midfield to add to that powerhouse division and Green goes forward. Himmelberg's playing well. Hogan contributing, could contribute a little bit more, no doubt about it. But when you add it all up, that's too many goals and too much firepower for a Mikhailis or Carlton forward line. And they'll just stagger to the line, I imagine, Carlton. And unfortunately, Teague will be the victim. GWS by 57 points. Yeah, I think it's going to be a bit of a shellacking, sadly, for uh, David Teague and Eddie Betts, uh, particularly in a farewell in front of empty stands. Boy, some sad sort of stories taking place on that score with the COVID 
backdrop. Um, yeah, look, stakes far too high here for Gold Coast. Uh, Gold Coast, GWS to let this one slip. Um, their record at this venue of late hasn't been outstanding. They've played three games there this year and only won one of them, but that was the most recent one. Uh, in fact, it was last week, and it was as impressive as any of their recent wins, 39 points against Richmond uh, with all the big guns firing. So um, they're cranking up nicely. Are they capable of going far in September? I've still got my doubts. I'm not con- convinced they're quite consistent enough, but uh, they're certainly going to make it with room to spare, I think. Um, I tend to be conservative with my margins, but I'm prepared to make this one 46 points. That's about as high as I'm prepared to go at this stage of the season. And GWS to get back into finals after missing out last year, coming off a grand final appearance, of course, the year before. All right, let's turn our attention to the final day of the home and away season. Another game with no stakes to attach for one side, but plenty at stake for the other. Uh, and a game which uh, veered here, there, everywhere and ended up landing in Hobart in Tasmania at the other weird thing, game time, 12.15pm. I had some amazing start times this season. 12.15pm, St Kilda taking on Fremantle at Blundstone Arena. The Dockers still with a slight chance of playing finals this season. Well, I'm looking at these odds, Finey, and I can't quite believe it because Palmer Bet has St Kilda as favourite for this game. A dollar seventy-five the Saints are paying. Fremantle paying head to head two dollars ten. Can't quite work that out. I'm wondering if those odds were framed before the venue was changed. Stats Insider say that while this Docker team ranks 16th for overall disposal differential, it does rank top 10 for inside 50s and contested possession differential and fourth overall for clearance differential. The Saints have lost four of their last five games at the most crucial time of the season and haven't kicked 100 points in 14 games. Of course, uh, back in Tassie, memories of another significant meeting between these two teams in the same state, which uh, you'll hear a little more about a bit later on. Um, Frio, they've had some massive names missing. Anyone coming back for the Dockers in this last desperate bid for a final spot? Yeah, Brayshaw is back in the team, having served a one-game suspension. And uh, Blakey, Blakely, Connor Blakely, who did his hamstring last week, will come out of the team. That'll be your only change after that meritorious win over the West Coast Eagles. As for the Saints, I don't think they're going to put Ben King around again, that's for sure. He started brilliantly last week. There was a question mark over his adductor. uh, Max King, I should say. Yeah, actually, Ben King, interestingly, Gold Coast have said, hands off. His manager's said, hands off. So no one's going to be touching him in the post-season. But Max King, of course, had the adductor problem. And he won't play. He won't go down to Hobart. And Derek Joyce. Now, I want to just bear with me for a moment here, Rowan. Tom Hawkins, that was just dismissed by the tribunal, by the MRO. His possible charge against Derek Joyce, described as one motion in a tackle. 
That's not true, by the way. Anybody that wants to watch that again, that was a very, very harsh, uh, severe tackle. He had him and, yes, he was falling forward, slammed him into the ground. If we're talking about the effects of a tackle, Daryl Joyce came off concussed. Now, here's what is really upsetting for me. Daryl Joyce is an Irishman. He's been at St Kilda for five years, away from home and family during COVID. It's not been easy for the young fella. He's going to come up for review at the end of the year. He was in the team, and that is his last, I think, motion in football. He can't play this week because of concussion, and it was just dismissed. Yeah, we want Hawkins playing. Put that one through. Even the commentators were making excuses for him as Joyce was being dragged off with concussion. His career's probably over, and he certainly would have liked one more chance to display his talents in front of maybe other clubs or even for St Kilda. So stuff Darren Joyce. Who cares about him? Let's just get Hawkins over the line. That is wrong. And I'm telling you, Hawkins was in a bad mood at that point of the game. He was swinging his arms around, and he knew what he was doing, and I'm disgusted by that result. Back to this game and Fremantle. Yeah, I'm surprised St Kilda app. Uh, that shorter favourites without Max King up forward. There's not a huge target for them. And uh, look, they were really good last week, Fremantle. Add Brayshaw to the lineup. You've got big Darcy in the ruck playing well. Tabiner's a target up forward. And I just think St Kilda, having run their race, very patchy at times this season. And with Fremantle, of course, uh, look, Essendon will most likely beat Collingwood, GWS Carlton, but Frio are going to go in that game, have a red-hot crack. I know it's a, almost a breakfast game, but I reckon they'll have St Kilda on toast for Brecky and win by 21 points. Yeah, I, I, those odds really do surprise me, you know, just given the motivations of either side. Uh, Fremantle haven't played at Blundstone Arena before. Um does that make a difference? I'm not sure it makes that big a difference. It's a pretty conventional sort of ground. I was really impressed with the way the Dockers uh, resisted West Coast Challenge last week. I thought when the Eagles got within a kick, I thought, oh, here we go. They're going to blow a seven-goal lead, typical Frio. But they really did find something in those last uh, 15 minutes. It was pretty resilient, and uh, they hung in there. Uh, they, they are prone to sort of run around with their heads cut off like chooks. Um, but they, they found something, and it was pretty impressive from that point of view. I don't think they're going to make finals, but I think they're capable of going down swinging and having that win in the derby after 11 straight losses to the Eagles. I think that'll give them a real shot of confidence. Um, yeah, look, the Saints are pretty good last week against the Cats. With a bit of luck, might have even got up. But um, the motivations of either side, you know, the, that is the difference in this game for me. And to that end, again, quite surprised that the Saints are going into this favourite. Dockers for me, not necessarily by a lot, but I am going for them to win by 14 points. All right, next game, Saturday after, uh, Sunday afternoon at the MCG. Sunday afternoon, 3.20pm, MCG, old rivals Essendon and Collingwood. Uh, the combatants, uh, Collingwood, nothing much to play for there. The Bombers, well, all on the line. Very unexpectedly, you would have said at the start of this season. Essendon in line to reach finals once again. Uh, last, well, only two years ago, to be honest, 2000 
and 19, but I don't think anyone expected this Essendon outfit recast as it was dramatically over the last pre-season would be in contention for a final spot come the final round. So big stakes of the Bombers. All they have to do is win and they will be playing finals. Um, that, of course, makes them pretty warm favourites with Palmer Bet. $1.29, the Bombers playing head-to-head. Collingwood playing $3.64. Stats Insider say that Essendon are occupying a top eight spot for just the second time in 22 rounds and have an 89.3% chance of staying there, according to the Stats Insider Futures model. They'll be looking to beat Collingwood for a third straight time, something the Bombers haven't done in 16 years, believe it or not. Essendon are the league's best team from a tackle clearance differential, whereas Collingwood rank 12th. Uh, The Bombers pretty comfortable and efficient winners over Gold Coast last week. Um, well, selection's interesting here, Fonny. Will Kale Hooker get a farewell game in the pies? Uh, well, they have lost a pretty important key forward. Tell us about what's happening on the selection front. Yeah, Brody Bajek is rubbed out for a week. Pies accepting the ban, so he is not playing, and that leaves them thin as a boarding house scrape of butter up forward. They're going to miss him, that's for sure. Uh, as for other changes, they may, may bring uh, young McInnes into the team and Jeremy Howe is likely to play. So they'll come in for Majacek and maybe Murphy. As for the Bombers, now you can help me out here. All right. Uh, I don't think they'll risk Langford one week with a hammy is too short. Even though guys have been coming back from hammies this year, much quicker than in previous years, or is it that they're being given sort of uh, a week off with hamstring awareness as clubs are very cautious? I think it's more a case of that. Now, Nick Cox, he could come back into the team. He was rested. McDonald, Tip and Woody, was he rested or was he dropped? I'm not 100% sure. Does he come back into the team? Braden Ham is thereabouts. Uh, there's a few possibilities to return. Which way do you think they'll go, right? Uh, well, the hooker one's probably the most interesting. Uh, it's, it's difficult. And I think if you were to look back last year when there was a bit of controversy about Tom Bell Chambers not getting a farewell game, that probably is an indicator of Ben Rutten's uh, philosophy on this, which probably means, unfortunately, hooker doesn't get a farewell game. But the stakes... This time. I've got to say, it's different. A farewell game in front of no fans. I mean, the players can farewell him without him having to play. Playing that's a very good point. House, yeah, that's not no. farewell, is it? That is a very good point. Uh, Tip and Woody, really interesting as well. I think he was dropped, but uh, I think he has been carrying something. Uh, I felt like they missed his presence at ground level, but he certainly hadn't been offering that much. Um, Nick Cox will come back. Look, that was his first spell and it was sorely needed. He'd been going up and down the one spot for much of the second half of the season. That might be just the freshener up he needs. Someone's going to be unlucky though. Alec Waterman um, did some pretty handy things last week. He's probably the likely uh, omission if Cox comes back. But uh, yeah, some, I mean, look, fortunately for the Bombers, some... Uh, Selection options that they haven't had at other stages uh, this year. Uh, what happens in terms of the game, Forney? Well, I've been talking about motivation all round. 
you couldn't have two greater polar opposites. Last game after, under Robert Harvey, and the form's been checkered, let's be honest. Some youngsters have shown something. Ginevan, probably the most likely of those that have been given a chance under Robert Harvey. As for the team, though, uh, you know, they're just limping to the end of the season, whereas Essendon are in the eight. It's their spot to lose, and they're not going to lose it. They were slow out of the blocks last week against Gold Coast, and that may happen against Collingwood, but they will be, and I'm not saying it will, but it may, and they will be emboldened by the fact that they were able to turn it around against a strong wind and then trounce Gold Coast. Now, that means that they won't panic if things don't go their way for a quarter or a half. They're the better team. They will win the game. How easily they win the game, how comfortably they do it, with a lot of teams looking on, pulling their tail, of course. If West Coast win, if Fremantle win, they'll be desperate for Essendon to lose. But bad luck, folks. It's not going to happen. Bombers by 39 points. Well, that's a pretty uh, convincing margin. I'm uh, more conservative with my margins and my tips uh, and with my supporters hat on, I'll probably be doing it pretty hard, regardless of the margin. Uh, I think they deserve a final spot. I think they're uh, since about five, six games in, they've been consistently competitive. And that's also the reason they should win this game. The Pies here, not a lot to play for them. And uh, my check, considerable loss for them too. I think they just really need to get the season done and dusted. They'll probably be pretty happy to throw a spanner in Essendon's works. But is that enough? Motivation for today's players, I'm not sure it is. That's more a supporter thing. So I think the Bombers get the job done, but uh, I'm going to be conservative in my margin. I'm going for Essendon by 18 points, all of which leaves just one game left of 198 home and away games. Let's talk about it. Adelaide Oval, the venue for the final 2021 home and away game. 4.40pm Eastern Standard Time. It's 4.10pm local time. Adelaide taking on North Melbourne. Uh, a few weeks out, this looked like a potential wooden spoon battle, but North uh, now confirmed on bottom. Still, if they manage a win in this, uh, they will end up with five and a half victories for the season. And that would be as much as any wooden spooner has racked up since Brisbane in 1998 believe it or not. So not bad for a bottom side, North Melbourne. And that is reflected in the Palmer bet odds because the Roos will be going into this game, even in Adelaide, as favourite, paying $1.85 head-to-head in this one. Adelaide paying $1.95. Stats Insider say the Roos have officially claimed their first wooden spoon in 49 years and are now the first team since St Kilda in 1985 to spend each and every round of the season on the bottom of the ladder. As for Adelaide, well, the Crows are set up to finish bottom four in both points scored and points conceded for a second straight season. Uh, Any farewells, returns or uh, major omissions for either the Crows or Roos for any? The Roos, I reckon they might unveil another youngster. David Noble hasn't been scared in blooding debutants. He had Charlie Combin play his first game last week. And Phoenix Spicer, a real dasher, could make his debut in the final round of the season. As for the Adelaide Crows, 
And they had two players out last week with concussion protocol, Brody Smith and Will Habel, who both went down on the side of three-quarter time a couple of weeks ago. They're right to return to the team. Ben Davis will probably miss out. And Elliot Himmelberg did a hamstring, and he can't be considered. So... I know it doesn't hold a great deal of interest for the non-partisan fan because there's not a lot at stake, but these two teams would love to finish with a win. Their seasons deserve a finishing win. North Melbourne have been very good after the first six or seven weeks. And Adelaide, who started the season well, might, might have quietened off a little, but they've shown plenty of character. And as you pointed out, they were right in that game against Melbourne until Bailey Fritch put on the afterburners. Who wins? I'm going to tip the home team, the Adelaide Crows. I've been pretty impressed by Schoenberg's last month. He adds to a midfield that has Rory Sloan, of course, been a great year for Keys. He must be right up there in there uh, voting for best and fairest. Probably can't knock off Rory Laird. But he's had a darn good season. Brody Smith's back in the team. Tom Lynch in his last game. And that's raised a few eyebrows because he's been good since coming back from injury. Will want to do well. Fogarty's been okay the last few weeks. No walking, no problems for Adelaide. North have been game. But as I said, I think the home, home state helps Adelaide. And also, I must say, a team that has plenty to offer for the future. Both of them do. But Adelaide's my tip. By 17 points. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, I think one positive out of this game definitely is, uh, you know, for a battle of bottom two, um, they're two sides both with uh, pretty bright futures ahead of them. So uh, not necessarily uh, doom and gloom for a game between sides in these positions that you would usually expect. Uh, yeah, I'm going with the home side too. I, I thought they were pretty good against Melbourne last week. They really pushed the Demons hard until uh, the last sort of 15 minutes of that game. I think um, they've been a bit more consistent in recent weeks. And uh, there's another factor here, uh, maybe overplaying it, but uh, boy, North Melbourne don't seem to enjoy playing footy at Adelaide Oval. Why? Well, they've played there eight times since Adelaide Oval was uh, revived as an AFL venue in 2014. Played there eight times, and the result? Zero wins, eight losses. And uh, a lot of them pretty large, too. In fact, last time, uh, well, that was a game against Melbourne. They lost that one by 10 goals. But they've had some thumpings against the Crows at Adelaide Oval previously, including a final. Of course, uh, elimination final back in 2016, which the Crows won by 10 goals. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the young talent on display for the future, um, which has been unveiled by both these sides this season. But yeah, I think Adelaide at home um, can really sort of enter the off season on a bit of a roll and have some real positivity about next year. And that's pretty much what happened to them last year. Remember, uh, they were dismal until they managed uh, three wins in their last four games last year. And that gave them a bit of a a spring in their step moving into the new season. I think North Melbourne's already done that, regardless of what happens to them in this one. Uh, I'm going for the Crows to win, not by a lot, but I think Adelaide will get the job done by 12 points. Well, there it is. The final nine home and away games of the season previewed. Uh, it's not the final one of these, though. Our favourite segment. Let's uh, jump in the time capsule, fire up the engine, 
and rocket back into football's past. Fantastic footy flashbacks. Well, I'm sticking with uh, previous clashes of um, sides meeting in this round, Finey, and uh, didn't have far to go for this one when I saw Essen and Collingwood bob up. <laughs> Plenty to choose from there. Uh, some famous moments. Um, and this one takes us back to 2009, a flying comeback and a match-winning goal kicked by a man whose name begins with the final letter of the alphabet. Let's have a listen. Stanton to love it. He gets past Davis. Great acceleration. Barham, he can't even catch him. Look at the speed of love it. He has about four bounces now on the left. Kicks to Jetta, who can run on and kick a goal here and make it interesting. Jetta. Goal. Hello. <laughs> Great play by Lovett. He even outran the speeds to Barham with tired legs. And he set up that goal for the Bombers, and it's eight points of difference. Monfries is coming, so is Lloyd. Monfries very nearly snared it. Essendon still dangerous. Monfries back for seconds. Lovett has a go. Did he get it high? No, he didn't. Davis swings it out on the full. It's a bomber free kick. They were stiff not to get a free kick there, the Bombers, for holding the ball. They were. It was a beautifully uh, executed tackle. And pressure right back on it. Ricky Dyson's got it. That's the one. As I said earlier, there hasn't been a two-kick game between these teams on any day of the year for eight years. Anzac Day 2001, it was eight points. Dyson is a left footer. He's the right man uh -huh. for the moment. He spears it home. And the margin is just two points. The Bombers from out of the grave. Might be time enough yet. But not a long left, a lot of time left. Fraser and Ryder and McCaffer try to paddle it to advantage. Ball slippery now. Been raining for a few minutes. McPhee gets Essendon moving. Love it. This could be the last gasp for the Bombers. Attacking it. Monfries just forward the centre. They're dangerous when they move it quickly. Dyson, Chetta, if it was set for him, he's got it. He's got the open goal in front of him. Oh, he couldn't get it out of his boot. time in the world. Look at his slippery. That is incredible. It looked like it was a certain goal. Don't you love the way Essendon played that on from their defensive 50? Collingwood by a point. Lockyer brings it in. Ryder sandwiched between two pies. Back of the Packers, Windelick. Quick handball to Hocking. Back to Lovett Murray. He goes short. It's a mark to Sensational bit of play, good composure there from Lovett Murray. And Zaharakis under pressure, 
make great contact. Well, it's a magnificent fight back by a never-say-die Essendon. But Collingwood will have to ask themselves how they let it come to this. And Ryder rises to the heights again. Tuvi tries to crash through. There's that time. It's over. The brothers have won it. They have snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. A magnificent Anzac Day win. The Magpies left to ponder how and why. Essendon by five points. Yeah, people were hanging out for Zerk Thatcher. They probably don't know much about <laughs> Anzac Day games, do they? No, David Zaharakis. Uh, look, that was, it's amazing because that's sort of at the start of the career of what was a great career. I know he's still at Essendon. I don't know what the future holds for Zaharakis, but what a way to imprint yourself into the annals of football history and also be a name that just stands out amongst the crowd. So, yeah, it was a great win by the Bombers, but also a great day for that young man. Well, I've got a little anecdote about this day too. By the way, I, I reckon the most relieved man on the ground when he did kick that goal was Leroy Jetta because that uh, rushed point that preceded um, the Zaharakis goal, my God, uh, I think it was Ben Johnson. Was it Ben Johnson? Slipped over. And uh, Jetta basically could run into an open goal, but uh, fumbled. And um, Heredia Lumumba managed to, uh, or then Harry O'Brien, managed to chase him down and rush a point. And, uh, boy, he would have felt the sting of that for some time. Okay, my story. Uh, the Anzac Medal, of course, uh, awarded to the best and most courageous, I think is the official description, player in that game. Um, I was one of three judges uh, I know Jared Waitley was another one who had to give three, two, one for that game. And uh, right about when we started that clip, AFL media man Patrick Keane came around to collect my votes. Uh, and I had uh, Dane Swan three, uh, had Paddy Ryder two. Can't remember who I had with one. And as I handed him the slip, I said jokingly, oh, if the Bombers get up, uh, swap Ryder and Swan, you know, ha, ha, ha. Anyway, he walks away with the uh, bit of paper and uh, 10 seconds later, uh, Jed has kicked the goal. I sent back within eight points. Uh, didn't give it a moment's thought. Siren was going to go. Another uh, minute or so later, Ricky Dyson dobs one from the boundary. I thought, ooh, this could be interesting. And, of course, Essendon ends up winning the game. I'd actually forgotten about it because I was too busy filing. And then they announce the winner of the Anzac medal, Paddy Ryder. And I thought, ooh. And then I texted him and said, did you swap them around? He said, yes, I did. And then the email came through showing the voting. Well, Paddy Ryder beat Dane Swan for that medal by one vote. So uh, something I said sort of half in jest actually ended up costing Dane Swan the Anzac medal. And uh, the other point of interest there, Finey, is that Jared uh, Waitley didn't give Paddy Ryder a one, a two or a three in a game which basically defined him as... Um, one of the uh, potentially really good ruckmen of the next few years. So, uh, well, well, I remember that really well. That was David Hill got injured early. Yep. Is that, and that thrust Paddy into the ruck. And he was magnificent. To not find a vote for him was very unusual. But 
luckily you said what you did to Patrick Keane because he was the deserved winner of that medal. And um, Can you tell us how Gerard Waitley might have uh, justified not awarding a vote to Paddy Ryder? Oh, you really like putting me in with Gerard, don't you? But on that occasion, Rowan, it wasn't a matter of the game that was played. It was the spirit in which it was played. I could have given Paddy votes, but doesn't it serve the purpose better to deprive him of votes and make him strive for greater glory? And didn't (laughs) he achieve that because of me? I think so. Uh, the narrative, Jared. It's always about the narrative. And uh, Jared, if you are listening, come on, mate. It's all it's all in good fun. I just like Fidey's impersonations. All right, Fidey, what have you got for us? Have you got anything on a historical front? I've finally bowed to your nod to an upcoming game because as soon as that game between St Kilda and Fremantle was announced to be played in Tasmania. I don't think there's too many supporters of either side that didn't, uh, old enough to remember, that didn't cast their minds back to 2006 and the most controversial finish in a game of league football in living memory. If you don't know what happened, I'm not going to ruin the surprise. Sit back and listen to the unthinkable and listen carefully because you might hear something the umpires didn't. Now... Goes in short. That wasn't a good kick. Picked off by Hayes. Hayes still going. One bounce inside the 50. Montagna needs to be straight. It is. 40 seconds to go. Ball up in the middle. 35 seconds. The Saints have not led today. Picked up out of the middle by Ball. Rolls it to Graham. 28 seconds and counting. A behind will at least get them some points. Blake has been good today, they need a mark. Montagna can't get a hand on it, Duffield. Josh Carr, tackled by Hayes, dispossessed. Goddard loops it to Montagna. Ten seconds remaining, we might get a ball up. And the clock should stop as soon as the whistle blows. What a great innovation. down to this clearance. It's yours. (laughs) I'm claiming it there. So a bounce, 40 metres out. They've got to win clear possession here, the Saints. Fremantle need to block them into space. Opportunity for Frio. They left it behind. That was Headland, and the ball is locked in again. And I think the clock will stop again. Saints wanting a free kick. Just about all that can happen now is a free kick out of this. That's about the only thing. Well, how many seconds to go? What are they appealing for, the Dockers? The light. Johnson knocked it down. Blake over his shoulder. Fiora across to Baker. Baker lines up and kicks a point. Is there a free? No. no that's the the sirens already They're, sounded. They were saying they heard the siren. The sirens already sounded, but they did the not hear it. Went. The and umpires the... have to. Well, it couldn't have gone because the clock was supposed to have been stopped. Well, the umpires have to work out now whether one of them heard it on time. One of them did. Oh, he's but... come up now and he's he's approached them. But didn't it go after? The whistle for a ball up. Yeah, with the ball up. That's what they were saying. saying it happened. Just before the ball up had happened. And because none of the field umpires heard it, they can't actually say that time is over. Oh, the Who have got nothing on this. Oh, now this is... It's a wild climax. So we've got a, been a bizarre afternoon. So, in, a, in effect, we have a tie. That last score stands. Oh, wouldn't you be seeding if you're Chris Connolly? He's going out there, Chris Connolly. 
he's heading out there to try and work out what's going on because in essence it's just not right is it no no the siren just actually well, it depends I'm not, I'm not going to say it. i've told you so but a couple of times though when you hear the siren i thought Gee, yeah, that's it was hard. hard it was hard to hear and in the climax again now what are they they're giving some kill to a free kick <laughs> was that baker after he kicked the ball this is an interesting discussion wouldn't it be nice to be a fly on the wall or is it the Lenny Hayes is having a go at Connolly saying get out of here. Lenny Hayes and Connolly are in dispute. Well, this is appalling. Well, this is bizarre. The siren was so hard to hear all day long. But it depends. The players appeared to hear it after the umpire had blown the whistle to ball it up, so it can't go there. Robbo's up to Chris Connolly. Now Baker is getting another kick. Baker is getting another kick. Well, that last score can't stand surely if he's got the ball again. Unless, was the umpire abused by the players for not calling time? No, unless he got dumped after he kicked it. Where's Mickey? Mickey's out in the ground. Everybody else is too. Michael, what news? Well, I'll tell you what, absolutely mass confusion, as you can see. I saw the clock go down off the TV screen, right? So I'm waiting for the siren. Now, as you said, the, the, the siren has been faint all day. So I'm standing on the boundary line, mass confusion with what is going on at centre-half forward. So Chris Conley doesn't know, the St Kilda players don't know, and either the Fremantle players. Did you hear Kennedy. a siren? Did you hear a siren, Mick? To be perfectly honest, I didn't hear the siren, but I saw the clock go off the screen when it's supposed to have gone off. Well, the Dockers put their hands up and were appealing that they heard it. Well, how did he get the point then? In comes Baker. And Baker has kicked another point. Does the previous point stand? We have no idea. But we're going to have to wait on the goal umpires to go to the centre of the ground. They will confer. And really, we don't know who's won the game or drawn the game. Incredible stuff. I remember the vision of um, Michael Roberts, Channel 9 boundary rider, out on the ground talking to uh, Chris Connolly, Fremantle coach. I remember um, working for The Age having to completely rewrite my uh, rap of the day's events or the round because it was just so dramatic. The other thing I remember about it, finally, was when the Beaconsfield mine disaster in Tassie happened. So uh, there were a couple of very big stories down in Tasmania that weekend. But uh, how long after the actual conclusion of the game were we officially delivered a result? Well, it was four days later. It was on the Wednesday. That game was at the end of April. And on May the 3rd, the Wednesday, the AFL, after a four-hour hearing, came up with the annulment of that score or the final point. They reason given that they awarded the game to Fremantle was, yes, under the rules of football, the game is not over until the umpire raises his arms and signals the end of the game. But that occurs to the final siren. If the final siren is not recognised by the umpire, it falls to the timekeeper to continue pressing the siren until it is heard. Now, that didn't happen because the timekeeper had erroneously thought that the umpire's had signalled the game. He said that he saw Fremantle players celebrating, assumed the umpires had called an end to the game, and he turned his back on the game 
and began to do the necessary paperwork. It wasn't until a fan tapped on the window that the timekeeper looked out of with an empty beer can that he realised that the game was still going on. Of course, St Kilda only drew that game because after the siren went, Stephen Baker didn't miss once, but he missed twice. He had two shots of goal and kicked a point on both occasions. Now, here's an interesting sort of subtext to that decision by the AFL. St Kilda finished sixth that season and Fremantle finished third. Between them lay Sydney and Collingwood. Had that game rested with the result on the afternoon as a draw, St Kilda would have finished third, got the double chance, and Fremantle would have finished sixth. So there you go. That is interesting. I hadn't considered that. Actually, you're right. And, uh, of course, St Kilda got knocked out by Melbourne. In, yep, uh, yeah. Now, in... St Kilda, I've got to say, I've looked at that final series. St Kilda would have had to play West Coast round week one of the finals. Now, we know Sydney and West Coast at that point in their lives were locked in an inseparable sort of um, period where all games were decided by less than a goal. And, and we know that Sydney went on to lose that grand final by the barest of margins, having just won it the year before. But so St Kilda have had to play West Coast. Form said they couldn't have won that game. And then they would have played the Bulldogs in Melbourne. They could have won that. But then they had to go to Adelaide to face Adelaide in a preliminary final, a game that West Coast won. But I'll tell you this, St Kilda, only a couple of weeks before the finals, maybe a month before the finals, got beaten by 10 goals by Adelaide at their home ground of the Docklands. So I doubt St Kilda were going to go there and do much damage. And I think... And the other thing is, I think justice was served, wasn't it? The siren went, Freo were in front, they deserved the win. Yeah, I think they did. Certainly took a while to deliver it, though. Siren Gate, one of the famous episodes in AFL football history. That is it for this week. Thanks to your company. Uh, Of course, we've got some wonderful sponsors of this podcast, uh, chiefly our proud partner, Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember, of course, to gamble responsibly. And what about our other wonderful sponsors, Fanny? I love Andrew's Hamburgers. I like the blokes that work there. I like all the people who work there because they're actually proud of the product that they put into your hands. A beautiful Aussie burger. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. If you've not tried one and you can get there, please do. And thank you so much to the team at West Point Properties, Nick Spartels, he's one of the guiding lights there. They're a great construction firm and great supporters of this podcast. And, of course, never forget Stats Insider, sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world, also home to some fine independent sports journalism, all free to you. So check it out at statsinsider.com.au. Give them a follow on Twitter as well, at Stats Insider. And then drop in on my Twitter account where you can see me abusing various members of the Rupert Murdoch goon squad in operation. But more on that later. Thanks for your support. Uh, You can support us uh, in a more material way by uh, visiting the supporter page wherever you're listening to this podcast or 
become an official Footyology patron, head to the many links that are on footyology.com.au and uh, some great reading on there as usual this week. And uh, in fact, today, a fresh piece gone up written by Angela Pippos about the AFLW competition and what the AFL needs to do to start uh, getting some more women into not just the coaching ranks, but the ranks of football administration Generally, we'll be back uh, in podcast form on Sunday evening when we wrap up the final round of the season. Of course, uh, if you can't wait till then, please join our live stream, Footyology Final Siren, which will follow the big game between Western Bulldogs and Port Adelaide on Friday evening, 10.45pm on Twitter and Facebook Live. Always good fun. You can fire in a question. We'll do our best to answer it. Uh, thanks to your company. Hope your team has a win. Hope they make the finals if they've got a chance. Hope they finish off on a good note. If they haven't, uh, we'll catch you soon.